Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Please Drink Responsibly, a drinker's guide to American history. I'm Lisa Wiley, Outgo historian, and your host. I have a really hysterical main episode for you. Uh, this week, I laughed a lot. I learned a lot. There was a fight with a monkey. But first, I feel like I owe you guys an apology because last week I recorded an episode about St. Paul, Minnesota, and I freaking forgot to mention one of America's most famous drinkers. Oh, my God. F. Scott Fitzgerald. He was born in St. Paul, as any good Alco historian would have already told you. What a dummy. But I'm going to break this down really fast because we were doing an episode about Maine and it's really small. Even though it is funny, I think we have time. F. Scott Fitzgerald was born in St. Paul in 1896. He finished four great definitive American novels in the 20s and about 164 short stories, including The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, which is a really cool, I think, story. But sadly, Fitzgerald died in 1940, and he was only 44. uh, He had a heart attack. And I think the common belief is that it was brought on by alcoholism. Cautionary tale. During the 20s and 30s, though, he and his wife Zelda, before she was committed to a mental institution in 1936, they were notorious drinkers and partiers. You know, they say that um, Zelda, by modern standards, would have been diagnosed with bipolar. So I'm pretty sure that this lifestyle probably wasn't conducive to like her mental illness. Just a guess. These two would make headlines all the time for dancing in fountains and getting kicked out of hotels, carrying on all over New York City, pretty much anywhere that they went. Fitzgerald wrote for The Great Gatsby in 1925. And if you've read it or seen the movie, which some of them are pretty good, it's basically a story about parties um, and about being alive and wealthy and young in the Roaring Twenties. I posted last week's episode, and then I was like laying in bed and I literally sat straight up and I was like, oh my God, I forgot Fitzgerald. (laughs) The great Fitzgerald, prolific writer, alcoholic. Here's a quote from the man himself. First you take a drink, then the drink takes a drink, then the drink takes you. That's pretty melancholy, huh? Moving on to Portland, Maine. Uh, A place I'm too scared to go to because of Stephen King. (laughs) Just kidding. It's really just that my, my touring shows for some reason don't really go there. But we'll get to talking about Stephen King really soon. He has spoken publicly about his struggles with alcohol and his recovery. It's pretty cool. And also I love his work, but we'll get into that. Portland, Maine is pretty small. The entire population of the entire state of Maine is less than San Diego County. And it turns out that 40% of the population of Maine lives in Portland. Whenever I think of Maine, I think of my grandma Goldman. When she talks about Maine, she always snickers and says, Maine, you can't get there from here. She thinks that's hilarious. But I never have the heart to tell her that her accent from Pocatonic, Connecticut is every bit as thick. My grandma is the coolest person alive. (laughs) She literally says things like, the deer in the yard are eating all the Swiss chard in the garden. My grandpa is just the same. Whenever I see him, I'm always so excited. He goes, hi, sweetheart. Yeah, I'm super lucky. Both my grandparents are still alive. 
they haven't lived together in 40 years, which is probably why they're still alive. I want to hear about Maine Champagne. It's the most popular, best-selling alcohol in Maine, and it's called Allen's Coffee Flavored Brandy. It's usually served with milk over ice, and they call it um, a milk drink. Yeah, you just walk into a bar and order a milk drink, and you get Allen's and milk over ice. But these filthy animals also call it fat ass in a glass, liquid leg spreader, okay, liquid panty remover. (laughs) I think I'll just ask for a milk drink. If you mix it with cola, um, like Coke, or the main Coke, which is called Moxie, this drink is called a burnt trailer, (laughs) which is great. It gets even better though, because if you order it with diet Moxie, they call it a welfare mom. (laughs) Oh my God, Mainers. You can purchase alcohol in Maine from grocery, convenience, and licensed liquor stores in wet towns from 5 a.m. to 1 a.m. Monday through Saturday and 9 a.m. to 1 a.m. on Sunday. Bars can be open from 6 a.m. to 1.15 a.m. Monday through Saturday and 9 a.m. to 1.15 a.m. on Sunday. However, 56 of Maine's towns are dry. Portland is not. Maine was first inhabited by the Wabanaki people and its branches, the Abenaki and Penobscot, which is very cool. Penobscot is the street that I live on. Named, I assume, after these fine indigenous Maine folks. I also refer to my house on Penobscot Street as Penobscot. This house is the first house that I've ever owned on my own and I love it. And I think Penobscot has a nice ring. Europeans came to the United States and they brought disease and made war with the Native Americans, but they think that perhaps 50 to 75% of the natives in this region were killed by either disease or war. Such a sad American reality. The French people wanted it. The British people wanted it. The natives were kind of stuck in the middle, taking sides. What a complete mess, like all of United States at this time. We're talking the 1600s. The British did settle a a colony there, but it was destroyed three times before the city was even named Portland. And then it burned again in the Civil War. In the 1600s, the natives sided with the French because they had both been there longer and the British were coming to settle the land that they had already claimed. It got really ugly because the French and Native American forces wiped out every single English settler. Not once, but twice. The second time, Portland was a ghost town for 10 whole years. But as we know, the settlement eventually took and the indigenous people that were living there uh, moved on to smaller reservations or kind of just assimilated into the population of Portland. It was ugly, but different from the forced relocation that we've seen in other episodes of the natives. So I'm reading about Native Americans in this area and around Portland and I got so excited right because I found this story about spruce beer. Beer made from spruce needles. So I was like spruce beer! Wow this could be a whole new... No, no it wasn't. Here's the real story. It started with this uh, French explorer, his name was Jacques Cartier and the Iroquois people. Jacques Cartier was um, a French explorer and on one of his expeditions, his men started dying of scurvy. So the Iroquois people taught them how to brew pine needles, um, which is a crazy 
source of vitamin C, which as we know now is the cure for scurvy. And it saved the lives of these men. It was the Europeans though that started adding it to beer <laughs> in the Royal British and French navies to combat scurvy, but we learned that from the Iroquois. Two brews, way different drinks. So we have two complete decimations of the British settlers by native and French forces, and then that same British Royal Navy burnt the place down in the war for United States independence. But Portland just keeps coming back, and by the turn of the 19th century, it had about a thousand people. Also though, it had 600 places to buy alcohol. Probably that grog we talked about. The town was named Portland in 1786 after an island off of Dorset. The Oregon Portland was named after the one in Maine, which I had wondered about. In 1851, Maine was the first state to abolish alcohol, resulting in a riot. Maine abolished alcohol 70 years before the rest of the country. Not everybody was pleased about it. And Neil Dow, who became the mayor and was the mayor during the rum riot, was the reason why. He was all about temperance. So Maine has abolished alcohol, right? But word gets out that Neil Dow is storing $1,600, which I guess was a lot back then, worth of alcohol in the town vault. His plan, according to him at least, was that it was to be distributed to pharmacies and doctors. Well, people were pretty pissed. Remember the town had 10,000 people? 3,000 of them stormed the vaults. They looked at this as hypocrisy on the part of the government, that they could have alcohol, but the people couldn't. There was even a newspaper article to that effect in the paper, which made everyone extra mad. So you have these 3,000 people storming the vaults. The mayor panicked and called in the militia. And the militia opened fire on the crowd. Ugh. They only killed one person, um, which is good, I guess. But they injured a bunch, and Mr. Dow got in big trouble. So much trouble, in fact, that his alcohol law was repealed about a year later. So then what happened was... It wasn't completely dry, Maine wasn't a completely dry state, but the laws there were still really restrictive until the 18th Amendment and the repeal of Prohibition. This character, this Maine man, <laughs> Neil Dow, was quite a dude. He's one of my favorites, actually. Wait till you hear about this. He was raised a Quaker in Maine, but he enjoyed fancy clothes and sort of the showiness that's frowned on uh, in the Quaker religion. The Quakers are kind of an interesting philosophy, at least to me. Neil Dow had nine children. Five of them survived infancy, which is fine. That's, that's terrible odds. To his remaining children, he liked to point to shacks and crumbling buildings in town and say, Rum did that. <laughs> what a booze bummer. In fact, they called him the Napoleon of temperance. He became the head of Maine temperance in Portland and is directly responsible for early temperance in Maine. And the Maine legislation led the way for national temperance. So, Neil, you're an American booze bummer and a monkey fighter. I'm going to tell you about that now. He got in a fight with a monkey when he was seven years old. Yeah, I said a monkey fight. <laughs> I read this story and I swear if it's an urban legend, if it's not true, I don't want to know. Lie to me, internet, because this is so rich. It has to be true. 
Oh, Maine, I love you. I can't make this up. It's way better than my imagination could come up with on any day. I read Neil Dow's account of a fight he had with a monkey as a small child. <laughs> he wrote about it later in life as an older man. He was seven years old in Portland, and outside the barbershop, he came across a group of drunk men and a monkey. God knows where they got the poor creature. They gave Neil a stick, <laughs> little Neil, he's seven, and somehow convinced him to fight the monkey. I'm guessing it's so that they could place bets. <laughs> oh, in his own words. To such a monkey as I then encountered, it is wise to give a wide berth. He opened the fight with teeth and claw, jumping at my face, biting at me and tearing at my clothes with all of his considerable might. I kept him in front of me as I could, kicking and striking him whenever I got the chance. How long the folly lasted, I do not know, for what seemed to me a long time. The monkey had most of the fun and I most of the pain, but at length the brute got, brute got tired of it and knew enough to give up. Poor little Neil went home scratched and bitten and dirty. <laughs> His Quaker parents were horrified to hear the tale of him beating a monkey with a stick. <laughs> Listen, I have two boys of my own, and uh, they've gotten up to some shenanigans, but I hope the monkey was okay. Little Neil Dow grew up with a distaste for drunks and drinking for the rest of his life. So, like I said, one could argue that American Prohibition was the result of a fight with a monkey. Because it was Neil Dow's early legislation that gave the grounds for a national prohibition. Stupid monkey. Neil Dow grew up to write the following. It was the rule to quit work at 11 in the forenoon and four in the afternoon to drink. In every grocer shop, there were casks of rum punch constantly prepared in a tub, sometimes on the sidewalk, just as lemonade is to be seen now on the 4th of July. Doesn't 1800s New England sound like rush week at Arizona State University? <laughs> God, they drank so much. Three times as much as people nowadays. Apparently it was a real mess, which, okay, led to temperance. I guess Neil Dow wasn't completely responsible. Or the monkey. Guys, I'm not going to stop talking about this monkey. Neil died in 1897 at the age of 93, and he never did get to see the 18th Amendment. <laughs> I don't know what happened to the monkey. <laughs> American poet Henry Wadsworth Longfellow was born in Portland, Maine in 1807. He was the most popular poet of his day. He published poems, anthologies, and novels his whole life struggled with uh, depression and panic attacks though. He also lost two wives. They died really young. And it looks like Henry developed a little bit of a problem with laudanum. Laudanum is um, <clears throat> it's a concoction of alcohol and opium. About 10% opium. It was really popular at this time. I guess from the Civil War. Lots of people were hooked on it, including poor Longfellow. I'm not really a huge fan of this era of poetry or the style. It's kind of been making me cross my eyes since high school. But 
since it's relevant, he did write a poem called The Drinking Song. I'm going to read a short passage. These are ancient ethnic revels of a faith long since forsaken. Now the satires change to devils, frighten mortals, wine or taken. Now to rivulets from the mountains point the rods of fortune tellers. Youth perpetual dwells in fountains, not in flasks and casks and cellars. <laughs> I have no idea at all. <laughs> It sounds like temperance bummerness. I don't, I have no idea. But I, I looked it up and I guess it's supposed to be a criticism of Victorian prudish values. Okay. I don't get it. Or maybe it was the laudanum. Prohibition came to Maine again in 1920, along with the rest of the country. And since Maine is right next to the Canadian border, of course we had rum runners, right? Rum running was very popular in Maine. They say that uh, for every one rum running boat that was captured off the coast of Maine, 12 got through. <laughs> wow. Even with that being the case, the basement of Portland City Hall kept filling up with a confiscated hooch. So about once a month, they would invite the press to City Hall and they would have pouring out parties. So they would dump gallons of liquor and wine and beer right down into the sewer. And the press would come and take photos and write all about it. In 1947, Stephen King was born in Portland, Maine. He's considered the most popular writer of the 20th century. All of his books have been in continuous publication since Carrie. That was in the 70s. And there have been close to 90. I love his work. I've seen a lot of the movies and read a bunch of the books. Most people my age have, I think. He was super popular for my entire life. But he's an alcoholic, recovering since the late 80s. He says that there are entire novels that he doesn't remember writing. Whoa. He was only averaging, he says, about three sober hours in any given day. His wife, Tabitha, that he's been married to forever, right out of college, she was finding him passed out all the time, like in his own vomit, like some kind of crazed rock star. So one time she found him again passed out in his own vomit, and so she gathered all of his, his uh, Coke spoons and beer cans and Listerine bottles. Yeah, I guess according to him, he was drinking Listerine to get drunk. His wife, Tabitha, dumped them all out um, from a trash can in front of him and his entire family. It was an intervention. The intervention worked. After lots of work and some relapses, he did get sober. He says it was terrifying because he was sure that he wouldn't be able to write if he quit drinking, like he couldn't write sober. But it turns out he could. He wrote almost 30 books in his sobriety. Here's an interesting thing I learned in this episode. So in California, we call drunk driving a DUI. In other places, it's called a DWI. In Maine, they call it an OWI, which was very confusing in the beginning of my research. Operating under the influence. No matter the letters, don't do it but it's important to know. <laughs> From the headlines, drunken dummies in Maine newspapers. A narrow escape. A man named John Sheedy of Brewer had a very narrow escape at about two o'clock on Saturday night. While intoxicated, he wandered down the wharf and fell into the stream. Fortunately, the water was low 
or he would have surely been drowned. Bystanders heard him cry out and went to his assistance. 1880. A Portland man faces drunken driving charges after police found him idling aboard a Zamboni inside the Cumberland County Civic Center, home to the Portland Pirates hockey team. Police officers, responding to an alarm, found 22-year-old Adam Patterson, who had crashed into a wall in the ice rink. 2008. The bystanders in the vicinity of a well-known saloon a few days ago noticed a man who was considerably intoxicated, who was accompanied by a handsome English coach dog. The man approached the door of the saloon and was about to enter when, to the surprise of all who witnessed, the dog jumped up, catching the skirts of the man's coat, and sought to prevent him from going in. 1866. 19-year-old Robert Burt was busted for an OUI. See why I tell you guys these things? He posed for his mugshot wearing a t-shirt with the printed image of his mugshot from an arrest two months earlier. I put the image on the Facebook page. It's hilarious. As much as I do think that drunk driving is reckless and terrible, that photo is hysterical. Check it out. That happened in 2014. Another 2014 story, a Maine woman, Carrie Gibson, was arrested for drunk driving after police pulled her over on Sunday, October 27th for driving in the wrong lane. Hello. She was wearing a full Hello Kitty costume. Raymond Doyson, doing business as Ray's Lunch, received a 10-day license suspension on a charge of selling malt liquor to an already intoxicated person in 1949. A young man, Devin Staples, who was drinking and celebrating the 4th of July, tried to launch a mortar-style firework off of his head. He was killed instantly. 2015. If you or someone you know has a drinking problem, reach out to someone or to me. I'll try to help with resources if I can. Check out my Facebook page, Please Drink Responsibly, A Drinker's Guide to American History, for photos of the characters in this episode. The music provided by Hank Famo. His music is available on SoundCloud. See you next time. Till then, please drink responsibly.